0: And today we're celebrating the faithfulness of God. I was reminded of a time I was at my brother's house. My grandma was like 90 years old, and my brother had placed a bed in his living room for her to sleep on. She was falling asleep. She had taken her hearing aids out, and she didn't know anybody could hear her. And she was just praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something special, something powerful about that name. No matter where you are in your journey spiritually, whether this is your first time in church, you've been coming for a long time There is hope from God for you today. We are wrapping up a message series. It's called One Life. It's been a four-week journey for us, a campaign that's been focused on letting God use our one life to make a difference here on planet Earth, and it's been a great journey. Uh, In fact, God's done amazing things in us. God's going to do amazing things through us. We launched new small groups together. There were 1,150 plus of you who said yes to hosting small groups. I want to say way to go. Literally tens of thousands of lives impacted because you said yes to host groups. Uh, There were 4,468 people who signed up to say, I'm going to pray for one life to encounter the love of Jesus, to experience salvation. And today I went outside at the Lake Forest campus. Uh, It just so happened I was signing on the bubbles, Uh, One Life, and somebody had written my name to receive salvation. Andy Wood was there. So thank you. Whoever wrote that, thank you for praying for my salvation. Uh, This series was awesome. I was like, maybe they don't know I'm saved. Or maybe they... Maybe they misinterpret it. But anyways, if that was you, thank you for praying for me. Um, But the big idea of this series has been around one question. It's how do I make the greatest possible difference with my one life? How do I make the greatest possible difference with the life God has given me? There's something inside of every one of us that longs for our lives to count. For those of us who follow Jesus, the greatest impact that we can make with our life is pointing people to Jesus, Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this message, you want to make your life count as well. And so all of what we've talked about with our lives making a difference applies to every one of us. The journey that we have gone on has been a practical journey. I want to do a little bit of a review. Uh, We started in the first week, we talked about this idea of asking God for help. And we said that prayer is the foundation, that God does things when we pray that he doesn't when we don't. So, when we come to God and we ask him to move, he wants to move. He hears our prayers. We can ask him for help. Now, we're going to be starting a series in two weeks that's focused on prayer called Praying for Breakthrough. And it's going to be a great series where we're leading up to Easter praying that God would move in power in our lives, through our lives, and it combines with this series. So, we went from that the second week we came and we talked about building friendship. And we said, there's a pandemic of loneliness in our culture. So when we build friendships with other people, when we're available, when we live in such a way that we're good friends, it helps us be positioned for God to use our lives. Now last week, Pastor Buddy brought the message, did an incredible job. And he talked about cultivating conversations, how we can, we can live in such a way that our words and our deeds point people to Jesus. Now today, I wanna finish with this idea of helping others discern their next steps. That part of the journey for us of God using our lives is to be positioned in such a way that we can help other people discern the next step along their journey of following Jesus, the next step along their spiritual exploration journey. Now, it kind of reminds me of driving. If you were to see Stacy and I driving around town, uh, you might notice that I'm not driving. And if you're a man, you might be tempted to judge me and say that that's not manly to which I would disagree with you and say to you, God has given me a responsibility to protect my family. And so (laughs) since my wife is a better driver than I am, I can help my family by empowering her to be the driver in our home. And she drives and oftentimes when she's driving, I still feel the freedom to offer suggestions (laughs) to her while she's driving to which she might reply Are you driving or am I driving? Now, the point that I'm making is sometimes we can get confused with our roles, our responsibilities. And when it comes to discerning next steps, one important principle is this. Clear definition of roles leads to greater discernment of steps. Let me say it again. This is important. Clear definition, clear understanding of my role in the journey of pointing somebody to Jesus. Better understanding leads to A greater level of discernment of steps in fact when you look at the ministry of Jesus and you look at how Jesus ministered to people it was so clear at the end of the day Jesus was here to bring salvation to the human heart so the first component of this is that Jesus is the great Savior all of the Bible is pointing towards Jesus as the hope for humanity Jesus would come to solve the deepest problem that we wrestle with, the problem of sin, that his death, burial, and resurrection offer salvation to all of humanity, anybody who would turn to him. Jesus is the great Savior. Now, I want to be a helpful guide. So I get the privilege, you get the privilege, with your one life, to be a guide along the journey to point people to Jesus Jesus is the great Savior I want we want to become the kind of people that are helpful guides John chapter 5 verse 39 this is going to be the passage we're going to look at today uh, in the Gospel of John John one of the early followers of Jesus one of the inner three would write a story that he had observed where Jesus had healed a man now before we get to the story I'm going to share the conclusion the religious leaders were frustrated because Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath day and he broke there's Sabbath rules. And Jesus, after going through this conversation and arguing, them arguing with Jesus and criticizing his healing, Jesus looks at them in John chapter five, verse 39, and this is a great verse to memorize. He said, you search the Bible, you search the scripture because you think that there's some magical power in the scripture that gives you eternal life. You think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, they point to me. The whole purpose of the Bible is pointing to to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the hope for salvation, they all point to me. Every verse in the Bible points to me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to receive life. What Jesus is saying is the Bible is pointing to him as the source of salvation. So you might diagram it in your notes like this. If you think of Jesus, every arrow in the Bible is pointing towards him. And Jesus is the one that brings humanity, brings anyone who would come to him to salvation. So what I wanna do, what we wanna do, is we wanna be arrows along the way that point people to Jesus. I wanna be a better arrow. And sometimes that arrow, when people look at our lives, is pointing in the wrong direction. So I wanna be a helpful guide that points people to Jesus. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In your notes, you can circle the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one who can bring salvation. No one comes to the Father. There's no other path to salvation other than through Jesus. So you and I get the privilege of being guides. Another way of saying it is we're kind of like Sherpas. I wonder if anybody's wanted to climb Mount Everest. You ever had that thought? Wouldn't it be awesome to climb Mount Everest, the highest peak in the world? And then you think about it for a minute and you're like, no, I probably would die if I did that, so I won't do it. But there are like normal, average, typical people like us that are climbing Everest now. And the reason why people can climb Everest more now is because of Sherpas. And I love this picture here. This guy, his name is Kami Rita. And Kami Rita has, that's an all names club name right there, Kami Rita. Uh, He has climbed Everest 26 times. So he has helped hundreds and hundreds of people get to the top of Mount Everest. He's a Sherpa. He's a guide. So he carries stuff. He guides people along the way. He removes barriers. I want to be a Sherpa for Jesus. I want to be somebody that points to him as the source of salvation. So practically today, what I'd like to do is talk about how do we become better guides along the way for those around us. How do we become better at pointing people to Jesus? John chapter 5, the story we're going to look at today, is a moment where Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to the place of worship for the people of Israel. And as he comes into Jerusalem, there's this one location where people would gather. There's this little pool of water that people would gather around, hoping that when the water was stirred, they could jump into the water and be healed. And in this instance, Jesus is going to heal somebody who's been sick for a very long period of time. But I want us to notice what is implicit in the passage of how Jesus interacts with this man. It says, sometime later, in verse 1 of chapter 5, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, meaning he has not walked for almost four decades. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a question. Now, before we get to the question, I want you to think about this man. 38 years he's come back to this spot. And perhaps every day he's here as the waters are stirred, he is hoping that he can be healed. He is hoping that he can get rid of his condition. He's coming back to the same circumstance with the same condition, hoping for a different outcome. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That sometimes you go to the same place, you carry the same issue, the same condition. Maybe you've been coming to church for a really long period of time hoping to get rid of that addiction, hoping that your marriage could get healed, hoping that you could get out of anxiety and you keep coming back over and over and it feels like it's the same scenario, same circumstance over and over and over again for 38 years. This man has not been able to walk. And now in a moment, As he's outside this pool, waiting for the waters to be stirred, up walks a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. And when the rabbi walks up and he looks at the man that can't walk, he asks him the question that is such an obvious question. It's the question that you don't want to be asked when you're waiting at the pool's edge. Jesus looks at this man and he notices him. He sees his condition. So to Jesus, this man was not an interruption. To this man, Jesus was the ministry. And he looks at him. And look at the question Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? You're like, do I want to get well? I can't walk and it's been four decades and I'm in this spot hoping that when the waters are stirred I can get well. Yes, Sherlock, I want to get well. Thank you for asking the question. Now it's good to know that whenever you're reading the Bible, God will often ask questions. But God never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. So it's not like Jesus is wondering, oh, I wonder what this guy thinks. Does he really want to get well? Jesus is getting underneath the surface of this man's desire to help him see what's on the inside of his heart. Now, it's important when it comes to being a guide. There's a principle here implicit that good guides become a student of stories. So Jesus is a student of this man's story, not for his own learning, but he's pulling out of this man what is on the inside. Good guides, people who point to Jesus as the source of hope. They become students of other stories. And there's a level of wisdom that comes when I approach as a student. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the Bible answer guy. I'm here simply to point to the one who can bring salvation. But it requires me to be a student of story. So I want you to see this diagram, another one that was helpful for me. Uh, When it comes to story, there are three stories, stories that are playing together as we're trying to make a difference. One is God's story. God's story is what Jesus said, you read the Bible, you think that the Bible gives you life, but all the Bible points to me. So the more I understand the totality of God's story, and I read the Bible, and I listen to the voice of God, the greater level of wisdom I have to help other people. But integrated with that is my story. This week I scratched this on my little notepad, and uh, I gave it to our graphics team, and they sent it back to me, and my story came as mystery. And... (laughs) It's because my handwriting is so bad. They couldn't read my handwriting, so they wrote mystery. <laughs> and isn't it, isn't it true, though? I, I thought about it afterwards. I'm like, well, sometimes our, our story is the biggest mystery. Like, I'm, we, we're a mystery to ourselves. So understanding you and knowing what God is doing in your heart. I also want to say this when it comes to your story. Some of you, as you've been listening to these messages these last four weeks, you've been discouraged. And you've been frustrated because you're like, my life is not at a place right now where I'm positioned for God to use me. I remember back in 2014, Stacy and I were going through a very difficult season. And later on, when we would reflect on that year for our family, we did a life planning journey. And you label the seasons of your life. We labeled that year the year from hell. Cause it was like everything in our lives was breaking loose. And it was all we could do in that year to hold on. We're in the therapist's office asking for help. And I remember this moment where every day I was having to leave to go home early from work. And I was really frustrated because I couldn't be as productive as I wanted to be. And so I looked at the therapist and I'm like, I just am not productive. And he asked me the question, like you don't want a therapist to ask you. And he said, well, are you less fruitful? And I'm like, well, that's not what I care about. I'm, I'm, I'm into the productivity. He's like, no, what matters is the fruitfulness of your life. And the point that he was making is very important. Sometimes when you're in a hard season, your endurance is a testimony to those around you. Your ability to sustain under pressure and grief and loss to keep the faith could often be the very thing that God is using. So I want to encourage you, sometimes when you're in a season of healing, it's the greatest moment of fruitfulness that God will use in your life. And you'll look back, God wants to give you hope today, as you understand your story to have a sense of peace. Now bring that graphic back up for just a second. There's also their story. And a key component of their story is knowing what's going on on the inside of another person's heart through questions and exploration and trying to understand. Jesus is pulling out of this man what is on the inside. So it means I ask questions. It means I listen. And as Jesus asks the question, the man responds with his desire. Notice what he says back to Jesus after Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well. The man looks back at him, and I can only imagine what this guy must have sounded like as he responded to Jesus. I like to sometimes when I'm reading the Bible to have a glorified imagination and personify what I might imagine it would sound like, and if he spoke English, which he didn't, he might sound a little bit like this. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Me, 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 Notice the excuses in this guy, like, he's got all these reasons why he's in his condition, and if you're like me, you know, there's a good reason why I'm not a therapist, but if you're, if you're like me, you want to respond back to the guy, and you want to say, stop your excuses, like, get out of your circumstances, your excuses are the reason you're still stuck, But Jesus listens to the man, and he journeys without judgment. This is important, implicit, is to journey with people without judgment. There's a power when you come alongside of somebody in their situation, and you journey without judgment. It reminds me of one time, Stacy and I were in Texas, we lived there for five years, we often jokingly say we lived in Texas for five years too long, and... Um, I love Texas. I love Texans. Um, We're grateful. If you're from Texas, if you're a part of our online family, God bless you in Texas. Uh, Thank you for the brisket that you give us. Thank you for the Williams family that is the campus pastor here at Lake Forest. You've given us wonderful things, and we do love you. But it was a long period for us in Texas. Uh, We actually started a church on a local university's campus called UT Arlington, and we had moved to UT Arlington area, and we were doing ministry there. Our street, there were a lot of college students, but there's this one guy who lived across the street from us. His name was John. And John would come over, and he would sit on my porch. And you ever had a friend that, like, they tell you things for shock effect? You know, those kind of people? Like, they tell you. And he knew I was a pastor, so he, he wanted to see if he could shock me with the stuff he had done or the things that he thought and so he'd go on and on and on and on with his stories. And I remember so many moments as he's going just thinking, just keep your face straight, bro. Like to me, I'm talking to myself. Don't, don't, don't show any response. Just say, yes, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's a line I learned from my therapist. That's interesting. Tell me more. That's interesting. Just straight face. That's interesting. Tell me more. And John and I built a friendship. He'd sit on my front porch and he would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And this went on for several months, and finally, after building a friendship, I'm like, hey John, would you come to church with me? And so you could listen, and listen, and listen. (laughs) And I could talk, and talk, and talk. And so John came, and he sat in our auditorium. He listened to the message, but over time, as he heard about the message of Jesus, and we continued to converse together, God opened his heart, his eyes. John made a decision to follow Jesus. He got baptized, and his life was changed. And that all started with conversation of journeying without judgment. There is a power when you come alongside of somebody and you just listen to their story and you hear them. And what happens as we listen, as we start to see that inside of people, oftentimes there are barriers that are preventing them from taking their next step. So what a guide does is like Jesus, watch what Jesus does. Jesus listens to what the man has to say. But then in response, Jesus does not go to his excuse. He does not attack his excuse, he removes his excuse. He doesn't attack the barrier, he removes the barrier. So Jesus looks at the man, and I want you to notice what Jesus says. Jesus looks straight at the man, who has not been able to walk for 38 years, the son of God in human flesh, God himself looks at this man with full power, with full authority to heal, with full authority to bring salvation. Jesus looks at him and says, get up out of your condition. Take up your mat and walk. You are healed. You don't have to remain in this condition anymore. The power of God is present. The Savior is here, and I would say to you, there are some of you who have been in your condition for a really long period of time. The Holy Spirit is present, and the same power of God that was at work in that moment that gave that man the ability to stand up out of his condition Of 38 years is present in this moment. The same power of God to bring people from depression to joy, to bring you from anxiety to peace, to heal your marriage, to restore your sanity, to give you hope again. The power of God is present. So he would say to you today, get up, pick up your mat friend and walk because the love of Jesus, because the empty tomb, because the power of the Holy Spirit, your condition can be changed. Sometimes we get comfortable with our dysfunction, We get comfortable with our situation. We keep coming back, trying the same solution over and over and over again. And perhaps it's for some of us, we're thinking the circumstance will change us instead of Jesus. We're thinking the water when it's stirred, the tone of the song. It's Jesus that is the Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that is able to work in you. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And he did. He stood up. And in full view of all of them. He walks. A guy who's been lame for 38 years. Could you imagine what that would have been like in that moment to see the power of God at work? At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now Jesus is doing something here that is so beautiful. He is removing the unique barrier to this man's progress. A guide removes unique barriers to their progress. A great guide figures out what is it that stands between somebody and the life God has created them to live and they remove the barrier. And I'll share with you a couple common barriers. Not exhaustive, but just kind of what I've seen from my own journey. The first one is misrepresentation from the messenger. So many followers of Jesus misrepresent the greatest story that has ever been told. Like when I was five years old, I went to this private school and they had us make these little tracks. And in the tracks we wrote down about the message of Jesus and at the end of the little track it was laminated, it was kind of that thicker construction paper, it was blue and red, I can still remember because I found it a few years ago at my mom's house. And at the back of it it said, would you like to get saved? And so I remember sitting down with my grandpa and I shared this with him and I said to him, grandpa, I don't think you're saved, and that means you're going to hell. You need to get saved. Now, I've gotten a little bit better over the years (laughs) at pointing people to Jesus. But sometimes misrepresentation can turn people away from hope. And maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you had a Christian that took good news and made good news bad news. Misrepresentation is often the barrier. I want to evaluate, like Pastor Buddy talked about, with my words and my deeds. Are they the kind of words and deeds that people can see Jesus in me? And I can remove a barrier with my life, my lifestyle, my choices, my smile. Sometimes just putting joy from our heart to our face can make a difference and help remove a barrier of misrepresentation. The second one is misunderstanding the message. The message of Jesus, the gospel message is called good news. When we hear that word gospel, in our language, it's gospel, but in the original language, it meant good news. It was when good news was declared after a victory. And what the good news of Jesus is, I want you to hear this, the good news of Jesus is this, humanity, our tendency, our brokenness, our sin, has separated us from God. Every single human being, aside from Jesus himself, we are sinners. Our sin has separated us from God, our jealousy, our bitterness, our anger, our pride, it's pulled us away from God, and our tendency with our sin is to ruin our lives. We destroy our marriages, we destroy our friendships at school. We as humans move away from God, but God is a God of love, And justice and because he loves us so much he came from heaven to earth he lived among us for 33 years he never sinned he never made a mistake and at the end of 33 perfect years here on planet earth The Romans and the Jews, the Jewish leaders of the day and the Romans of the day, they decided they could not handle Jesus. So they took him and nailed him to a cross. When he was nailed to a cross, it wasn't simply their plan. It was the sovereign plan of the Father from the beginning of time that he would send his son to planet Earth to be nailed to a cross. That when he was nailed to a cross, all of sin all the brokenness of the world would be paid for so that anyone who would turn to Jesus could receive forgiveness, so that they could have the slate wiped clean, so that they could stand holy and righteous before God. And Jesus would die, he would physically die. He would literally, for a moment, his body would stop breathing, his heart would stop beating, He would be placed into a grave, and for three days, his physical body would be dead, but on Sunday, Easter morning, his heart would start beating again, and he would start breathing again, and there was this massive uh, stone that was in front of the tomb that Jesus was in, and it was rolled away, and he came out alive, physically alive. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He made a way that all of humanity could know the heart of God so that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, anyone who would turn to him could have peace and joy and hope and relationship with God, personal relationship with God, with your creator. That's the gospel message. That's why it's good news. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. There's no religious box you have to check. There's not T's and I's and things you gotta cross and dot. It is receiving the gift of God's grace to you by faith in Jesus. That's why it's called good news. So I wanna be a good news preacher. I don't wanna be a bad news preacher. We wanna be a good news church. I mean, maybe you've heard a bad news preacher or experienced a bad news church. Don't point fingers, don't think any preachers, don't think of churches. My point is, let's be a good news church. Let's be good news, that's the story of Saddleback. We wanna be people of good news. So I can remove the barrier by understanding the message and communicating it as good news. Now the third and final barrier internally is minimal internal desire to change. Minimal internal desire to change. You cannot, listen, you cannot give somebody something that they don't want. That, that's like, you ever tried, parents, remember when your kids would not eat? And you would do the airplane, and try to shove it in. And when the mouth is closed, you can't put it in. And you, it gets all over the face. Maybe that's a good illustration, just came to me. Didn't have that in any other service. But, but, but it, sometimes that we're like trying to shove it in, minimal desire to change, is a problem, so you and I have to stop and ask the question, does this person want the message of Jesus? And if they don't, you can't force them. But what you can do is you can be a friend, you can pray, and you can be present because every one of us encounters a crisis at some point. People experience divorce, they lose a family member, they get news of cancer, they walk through mental illness, and they're gonna turn somewhere. Don't you wanna be the friend that they turn to? Don't you wanna be the person that's present when the desire begins to shift? So friendship, relationship of influence often is decades long. But you as a good neighbor, you as a good employee, you as a good friend at school, your presence God could use. There will be people, listen, there are people that I built friendships with when I was 16 years old. And they would message me 10 years later and say, I finally opened my heart to God. So your faithfulness, God will use it. Being available to be used by God. Minimal internal desire is a barrier, but your obedience and prayer, God can use it to break through. Now there's one final component that I want you to see what Jesus does here. In verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. At the end of the day, the problem is not that we need more TED Talks. The problem is not that we need more behavior modification. The problem is sin. The problem is the brokenness inside of us. And the only solution to our sin is that somebody had to die. And that somebody had to be perfect. And he had to pay the price. He did it. And people who follow Jesus, we have this sacred gospel message that we get to be conduits of and if we live in such a way that we don't point people to the source we have the solution to the problem of the world and so many followers of Jesus are keeping it to themselves it's like if there were one cure to cancer and you had that one cure and you kept it to yourself Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift that God wants to give to overcome the problem of sin is eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Proverbs 27 verse 12 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. I have in my mind an image of somebody that is driving straight off of a cliff and having the courage to stand in front of that person to say, you're heading towards a cliff. You're heading towards eternity apart from God. You don't have to go that direction. A simpleton just goes on and blindly suffers the consequence. Jesus is helping this man understand the problem of sin. So there has to be a point for God to use our lives. There has to be a point where we invite people to take specific steps in their journey spiritually. To invite them to go on a journey to discover what they believe about God, to invite them to take specific steps. And I have three of these and then I'll wrap up. The first one is the invitation to explore. Notice from the ministry of Jesus when you read the questions that Jesus would ask people. What do you want? What do you believe? Jesus is inviting people, he's inviting us to explore what we believe about God. Because in that exploration, my confidence has grown over the course of time the truth of god will win it will stand out if somebody goes on a sincere journey to discover the truth so i can invite others to go on that journey read the bible study history when you study history outside the bible what you see is you see people that ran from the cross then would see the tomb empty and Jesus alive and would be crucified, not Jesus, but Jesus' followers later being crucified upside down for the sake that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. People will not die for a lie. So I have confidence that if I invite you to go on an exploration journey, historically and through the scriptures, that you will encounter the God of the universe that created you, who loves you. And the second component is to invite people to encounter. Jesus would say over and over, if you study the Bible, study Jesus' teachings, you'll see him say over and over, come come and see, come with me, come watch me heal, come watch me teach, come along this journey and I have confidence that when I invite somebody to encounter the living God that the Holy Spirit is at work. Psalm 23 6 says this, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Is David talking about just himself when he says that? No, he is talking about you and me and every one of the 8 billion people that are on planet Earth. When I hear a story of God changing somebody's life, it never ceases to amaze me. When that was a, when they were a little 5-year-old girl, God was at work. When they were 13 in depression at school, God was stirring. Because the Holy Spirit is at work. You will never meet another human being that is not loved by God, that the Spirit of God is not at work in their heart. God is doing something. Sometimes it's down there. It's deep, deep down there. But the invitation to encounter, I have confidence in the spirit of God and his ability to change people's lives. That's why... When we're in a worship service and you see people lifting their hands up in worship and you see tears coming down, they are encountering the presence of God. And I have this belief deep in my core. You can logic your way. You can try to get all this information. And sometimes minds are so hard. But one moment in the presence of the Holy Spirit, one moment in the presence of God, this is so important for you to hear this, is enough. One moment in the presence of God is enough to erase a lifetime of doubt. One moment in the presence of God is enough to erase a lifetime of regret. So the encounter, the invitation, your invitation to somebody else to encounter the living God, for that truth to go from here 12 inches down into the heart. The Bible calls this the regeneration of the human heart. The scripture says that God takes hard, cold hearts and softens them. He opens eyes to see the hope and the truth of the gospel. So I just need to be an arrow that gets people to Jesus, and when they encounter the Holy Spirit, they encounter Jesus, he's gonna do his work. So I wanna invite people to explore. I wanna invite them to encounter. And finally, the last one is to invite them to embark on a journey. So eventually, Jesus would say to people, follow me, follow me. He said it over and over and over again. Come, follow me. There's an invitation from God to follow Jesus, and to have your life changed. So in summary, here's what we get to do. We get to recognize this truth. Jesus is the great savior, and I am a helpful guide. I wonder if we could say that together aloud. Jesus is the great savior, and I am a helpful guide. One more time, Jesus is the great savior, and I am a helpful guide. And this week as I was reading through, I was like, looking at these different examples of Jesus as he interacted with people. And Jesus was also a great guide. So he is a savior, but he was a great guide. And it, sometimes in conversation, it wasn't immediately apparent that Jesus was the savior. Think about the woman at the well, if you know that story. And Jesus is talking to this woman. He's asking her questions. He's helping her see what was on the inside. And then there would be a moment in the conversation where their eyes would be opened to the reality. Oh, this is the one that the scriptures has told us about. This is the one that we have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Messiah is here. God in human flesh has come and I am sitting face to face with the God of the universe. Could you imagine being in one of those conversations and your eyes being opened? This is Jesus, this is the Messiah, he is here. The scripture says that God has poured out his spirit so that every nation, tribe, and tongue can come to know him. And the presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, is present right now in this moment. And there are some of you, you've been on this journey. You've been coming. You've been listening to messages. And today is the day for you to come smack into the reality that you are so deeply loved by God that Jesus gave his life on a cross for your sins, that you can be free from the power of sin and death and you can have relationship with God. And I wanna to say to you, friend, if you are here and you are not certain of your salvation, I wanna invite you right now in this moment to receive the gift of eternal life by putting your faith in Jesus who loves you. Psalm 32, eight says, I will lead you, God is speaking, along the very best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. So don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Don't be a horse that needs something in its mouth to stir it or a donkey that needs to be kicked. Open your heart to Jesus. Open your heart to Jesus. Would you receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive, the gift of God's salvation, relationship with him. Will you invite him now? I wanna invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we close. If that's you and you've never received the gift of salvation, I wanna invite you right now in this moment to make the most important decision that you will ever make It's to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. It's to open your heart and your mind. It's to believe that he is the savior, that he has conquered death and to surrender to him as the Lord and the master of your life. You can do that right now. You don't have to wait later. It doesn't have to be magical. It doesn't have to be shining lights or something weird. It's just in your heart, just to say to him right now in this moment. You might say words that go something like this, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave. I surrender my heart to you in this moment please forgive me for my sins I turn to you and make you the Lord of my life and if you're praying that prayer today in just a moment I'm going to let you know how to respond so that we can help you on your journey others of you who are followers of Jesus today is a coming back to God I want you to use my life and so your prayer as we wrap up these four weeks together could go something like this. Oh God, use me. Just tell them I'm available. I'm available to be used by you. God, we say collectively as a church, as we wrap up this One Life series, thank you for 40 plus years of faithfulness, to be arrows that point to Jesus. And we wanna be faithful in our generation. We want you to hear our resounding yes. We want when your eyes scan planet earth, we want Saddleback to be a church that you want to bless. We wanna be a good news church. We wanna be a place that you can count on to know that if I send people there that they're gonna hear the good news. I pray God that we would be found faithful and you would use our lives together to point people back to your heart. Thank you, King Jesus for dying in our place. Thank you for conquering sin and death. Thank you for making a way when there was no way so that we could know your heart. And we declare with our lips, we declare with our hearts, you are the king of this church. You are the rightful savior. We bow under your authority and worship you as our king and declare this in Jesus' name, amen.